0: What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order.
1: It's a beautiful thing that Paul, throughout this section from chapter 12, never stops addressing this rabble of a church as brothers and sisters. Family, united in Christ, Uh, despite all the rebuking exhortations to grow up, verse 20, Chapter 14, verse 20. Um, we can just feel the warmth of Paul's pastoral love. Let's see. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Brothers. Chapter 14, verse 6. Now brothers. Uh, chapter 14, verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Verse 26. What then? Brothers. Uh, verse 39. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. Paul is modeling to us Christian leadership, unity as close as the family established in the Lord Jesus. Yet all the same, Paul never compromises his clear instructions. In fact, you might say Paul proves his love for his brothers and sisters as he holds the line theologically with them. He won't let them slide into spiritually compromising, pagan ways. And we should take note of that dynamic. Uh, It's the loving thing to hold the line and not compromise. Uh, Although it is a tightrope to walk, uh, we must honestly assess ourselves always. Uh, Each one of us will differ on this. Am I more likely to drop the love? am I more likely to change the theological lines? This second half of chapter 14 is very precious. Uh, For for this final section of spiritual gifts holds a rare and unique description of what a church meeting may have been like in the early church. As you can imagine, therefore, uh, many get very excited by trying to replicate this in churches today. Uh, This could be The biblically authorised way of doing church. And we need to ask, is that a wise move? Is that a wise thing to do? Firstly, does scripture ever try to lay out a model church meeting for us to copy? Secondly, are we likely to find that laid out here particularly as we listen into this letter to the Corinthians, this immature bunch of Christians? Because like we've said all series, uh, there is a potential danger in listening in like we do to this letter. For what what we are listening into is like a heated phone call halfway through. We only have one side of the argument. We don't understand what's been said before. And that this is a rebuke should never be forgotten. So this chapter then is, I think, not a church prescription For all people, for all times, in all places. Uh, This is Paul bringing under control a very wild church, which was leading to probable death. Do you remember that tone from last week? Verse 7, 8, 21. Lifeless. Uh, Corinth were heading for fatalities. So this is like Paul's troubleshooting manual for when your church is in a total mess, not our model to replicate. Although it's easy to be a bit hard, isn't it, on the Corinthians. Uh, See, these are the problems of life within a church. Uh, As one writer puts it, it is obviously easy to order a cemetery. But see, as the Holy Spirit breathes life into this pagan city, life will just be messy. That's just normal church family life, isn't it? So in a sense, these are the kinds of problems we almost want in our meetings. As pagans came into the church, this inevitably happened. And so as pagans come into our church, what do you expect will happen to us? So like the headmaster going into a school classroom, uh, which is out of control, wild, crazed, chaotic, Paul calls for the chaos to stop and for order to resume. Just like Jenny said, sometimes building up means shutting up. And that's Paul's point that we can apply here today. And it's simply this. Order. Order. Although precision in application is going to be tricky, it's very easy to apply that principle. Now just look at me me at verse 40. All things should be done decently and in order. And look at verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, literally disorder, anti order, but a God of peace and order. Right up front, this is our Trump motivation. As we are ordered when we gather, we actually reflect something of the nature of God. What a thought. I wonder though. I wonder, even if, as I say that word, order, order in our meetings as a church, how are you responding? What's your emotional response to that word, order? How does it make you feel? Does it make you feel, well, bored, controlling, uh, limited, unemotional, perhaps? Our culture nowadays says it's, uh, if it's spontaneous, then it must be heartfelt. Speaking without notes, therefore, must be better and mean more. Um, If one plans, then their heart just can't quite be in it. That's what the world says. Although, actually, even our culture can't square that if you plan to surprise your loved one, well, that is actually very loving and very heartfelt. Uh, Really, if something matters a lot, surely planning it is an incredibly loving and heartfelt thing to do. Think marriage proposal think important speech. Imagine if the Prime Minister never planned what he was going to say. (laughs) And I bet next time you go to the hospital for an operation, you'd want them to have planned very carefully for your arrival, uh, ordered the right tools and had the right people there, so that they don't have a gardener with a chainsaw chopping off your leg. Really, it's obvious. Order, is really very good. Uh, You just need to look at the Bible story to see it really, don't you? God loves making order from disorder, Uh, not the other way around. Uh, When he made the world, he didn't start in mayhem, uh, nor is he taking us to a place of mayhem. Uh, Part of the curse in Genesis 11 is Babel confusion and of speech are just one of the reasons why prophecy today is so wonderful so god wants us to reflect him today and all his wonderful orderly new creation intentions for us Uh, does that bring being ordered from the less boring controlled limited and unemotional place to maybe a really exciting wonderful, brilliant thing for us to be striving for as a church together. Order, I hope so. Of course, there are some churches today which have no order at all. Chaos ensues like in Corinth. Uh, They need to hear this chapter um, and this conclusion. But there are some churches also which have so much order that they've put a straitjacket on. Uh, The human rituals and traditions that have taken over, and the lack of focus on the word of God, which by definition will change us, and every member being facilitated to prophesy it amongst us, well, that has vanished. And both extremes are wrong here, both extremes. So let's look at the details. Like last week, Paul takes tongues and prophecy again, and he examines them both in turn. Uh, and just by way of rapid reminder um, for definitions, we'll leave the logic to last week's talk if you, if you weren't here. But tongues, we were saying, were known foreign languages, and prophecy, I said, was simply speaking the truth in love. So Paul takes tongues first, uh, verses 27 and 28, and then prophecy, um, verses 29 to 38, um, but he starts actually with a principle in verse 26. I wonder how you read the start of verse 26. Do you hear it positively or do you hear it negatively? Let me read it. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. In other words, is this how a 10 a.m. should run? Is this what we should be doing? Everyone should have a chance one by one to offer what they've got. Each one has something to contribute, something, um, if you like, after chapter 12, with all gifts being equally valued, we all need to hear each other. Is this, that, is this the logical outworking of chapter 12? Uh, more to the point, is this, as many claim, how all churches should be run? Each takes it in turn to offer something. I think it simply cannot be that. Uh, Firstly, just notice what's not on the list to start with. Uh, No praying, no teaching, uh, no Lord's Supper, no prophesying. And Paul's really keen on all of those missing items. So it's certainly not a comprehensive list. Uh, No, this is a list describing Corinth's current meeting. They all have something to do and to say, and by definition particularly after last week's passage, the tongue simply can't be used on its own for building up the body, as he instructs at the end of the verse. And that part of the end of the verse, all things will be to to be done for building up, that is the controlling principle, which is correcting their current practice of each taking it in turn to do something. And notice how he uses this, as a launch pad for tongues, that principle. Verse 27, if, uh, notice it starts with a conditional. Uh, If any speak in a tongue, there's some limitations, have a maximum of three. So if there are 25 tongues that day, 22 are going to have to remain silent. Uh, It must also be ordered one at a time, each in turn, more silence. And they must all be interpreted. Isn't that the logic of verse 28? Just inescapable? Like we mentioned last week, if you don't have the interpretation lined up, ready to roll in advance, then you must sit down and shut up. A silence from them. Keep silent. Because it it just won't be edifying us all. Where is the building of the body, like Jenny so helpfully pointed us to? That's Paul's controlling principle. What will build for the church gathering? Now, still, you might need to ask us here at St. Helen's have we forbidden speaking in tongues, which we're clearly told not to do in verse 39? So, please, can I encourage you to practice tongues at home? It's good for you, it's really good for you, and that's really important if that is the gift that you have. But it's worth noticing what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say that every meeting must have at least one tongue, does it? It only limits the top end to three. Uh, None, therefore, would be fine. Um, Really, Paul limits it so much that I think the tongue basically becomes a prophecy for when we meet together. He wants it interpreted and suitable for all to be built up with. I suspect here at the 10 a.m. that if somebody started speaking in a tongue of any kind publicly, that we politely encourage them to stop so that we can keep things ordered here. So in case you're wondering about starting a tongues corner, maybe at the back over there, uh, we have wardens here uh, to keep the peace. In fact, I looked up this week their job description, and I quote, This is for Andy and Sam, amongst the two other wardens. Uh, They have a duty to maintain order and decency in the church and the churchyard, particularly during the times of divine service, i.e. now. And what a good job description that is, actually. Um, It's old school in its phrasing, sure, uh, but it's, it's like it's lifted the principle straight from here, isn't it? Order. So if you're unsure um, as to how to keep order here at the 10 a.m., ask Andy or Sam afterwards. I'm sure they'll have lots of things to say. Paul, having been um, clinically brief when it came to tongues, just those two verses, 27, 28, now comes to prophecy, his seemingly favored gift, 29 to 37. And in some senses, uh, the point of order is just the same. Did you see that? Let two or three speak, although it doesn't have an upper limit here like with tongues. A more must be fine, because that means more building. And he says that the others are to weigh what is being said, much like tongues need interpreting, so prophecy needs weighing. Uh, We'll need to come back later to figure out two things, who the others are, and what the weighing is exactly, or how to weigh. But for now, clearly, everyone is participating everyone's participating at verse 30 there's lots more people sitting in silence actually everyone in the conversation is silent did you see that other than the speaker at verse 31 it has to be done one by one taking it in turns why crucial so that all may learn and all be encouraged and nobody is left out of this I see that repetition there of the three alls, all, 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 everyone included. It's beautiful, isn't it? Verse 32, nobody is under compulsion from the spirit to burst out speaking. Every speaker should be in control of their own spirit order. Nothing ecstatic or wild or out of control. That is just what God is like. See, this just sounds like our little group gatherings together after church, where we all break off into little groups and we start chewing on what's being said. As one speaks, the other listens in. It's actually really just most conversations. Most conversations, when there's multiple people there, you spend more time in silence. It's just the art of being a good conversationalist, actually. Don't talk over each other. I wonder if you've ever been in a chat where people keep speaking over each other. It's really frustrating, isn't it? It doesn't help anybody understand each other, and it's normally done out of a lack of love and respect for the other people in the conversation. See, one of the most loving things we can do in conversations afterwards is just to be silent, so others can prophesy to us, and to build us up. Of course, if they aren't prophesying and just talking about, I don't know, the football or the weather, uh, then by all means butt in and be a bit rude. Um, But steer the conversation to the truth and then make sure others have time to talk about it and to chew it over, ask questions, and then actually listen to the answers. That would be a really godly glorifying thing to do to figure out the truth together prophecy for some people in bible studies in midweek bible studies this might mean talking more for others in bible studies this might mean being silent more if you're not sure about which one you are just ask a friend or your leader so now we come to some very challenging verses Uh, verse 33b to 35. And let me just start by saying, I find these verses really baffling, really baffling, utterly baffling, really. I think everyone does, actually. The plain words are just inescapable. Uh, Very clearly, all women are to be silent. That's what it appears to say. Uh, Let me just start reading from verse 33. As in all the churches of the saints... The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law says. I wonder how you're feeling as I read those verses. I guess words like sexist, uh, bigoted, archaic, chauvinistic are probably rolling through your brain. And we just need to have a look really carefully and see if that's what's really being said. If that's really what's being said. Uh, remarkably, some do take this verse as a blanket rule in church, saying that we can't have any women open their, opening their mouths and contributing in our meetings at all. Uh, no female singers at the front, no female praying, no female prophesying, no female readers. But is that really what it's saying? I don't think so. Because the trouble is, it doesn't square with chapter 11. There are women there. Women could prophesy. I think it's verse 5, verse 6. Women could prophesy and pray in the meetings. And he never rules that out. In fact, it seems to be a thing he encourages there. And it doesn't square with how highly Paul clearly prized women in the whole New Testament. Even a cursory glance over his dealings with women show how many of his gospel partners were women. They are always precious, valued, trustworthy gospel workers. So women must be able to speak and do lots of ministry and prophesying in our meetings. That's a given, I think. Uh, Some try to argue that this is just a reflection of the first century culture. I can see what they're saying. Verse 35 speaks of shame for a woman to speak in a church. Uh, We don't feel that at all, do we? Uh, Quite the opposite. Uh, So maybe it's only cultural. Perhaps this is only relevant in certain contexts, i.e. not our context today. Maybe if we're in the Middle East planting a church there, we'd reflect this. But in the West, is it not relevant? The trouble with that is... Uh, The reasons aren't exclusively cultural. In chapter 11, he relates equal values, yet different roles, back to creation, Genesis 2. And here in chapter 14, he relates it to the law, verse 34, as the law also says. Uh, Seemingly, this is a timeless reality, uh, not something we can just discount today as purely cultural. Although particular expressions may need to be culturally sensitive, like we said in chapter 11. Some try and square it by saying that although we're talking about prophecy here, in the verses, we're actually now in this moment talking about weighing prophecy in these verses. So in the rare moments of weighing prophecy, in those specific moments, women should keep silent. Trouble is, um, that it, it, that is to imply that the Others, in verse 29, didn't include any women, and I'm not sure that's possible. It's most likely that I think that the others are just the other prophets, which could well mean everyone. In fact, I do think everyone is a prophet, for all our prophets, in a sense, like we said last week. But most important to note is this. Um, the, the rest of the New Testament, where, whenever it refers to weighing, uh, testing, or judging prophecy, uh, namely 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 John 4, is very clear. The whole congregations are involved. Weighing is never limited to just men. So, what is Paul talking about here? I don't know. But my best guess is this, as in all the churches of the saints, the fact he starts there is my clue. Uh, Starting there certainly implies that all the churches knew this pattern. Uh, They knew what Paul would be talking about straight away, Uh, clearly unlike us. We're very confused on this moment. Uh, Remember, we're listening in, though, to one end of a phone call of a heated debate halfway through. So if we go to 1 Timothy 2, the only other place where Paul encourages quietness and submission from the women in church, there the key factor is having authority. Having authority. So I have to conclude that my best guess is that the same issue is at stake here. Authority. Paul doesn't mention it explicitly, I I can see that. Um, But I wonder if he doesn't need to. As with all the churches, they all knew what he was saying. Um, Although 1 Timothy 2.11 does mention submission as the complement to authority, which does get mentioned here in our verses. See, I don't think weighing prophecy is in that sense authoritative. In fact, I think everyone always needs to weigh all prophecy. Um, that's just that, by definition what prophecy is and how it works. But authority pairs with submission perfectly and reflects the dynamics that we explored at length in chapter 11. Um, that's as far as I've got. That's the best job I've got at it. It's still baffling, I think. But that's as far as I think I can get. Uh, do please keep thinking about it yourselves. Now, we may have slightly... Uh, softened some of those sexism feelings um, from what we first uh, said when we read about this earlier. But I guess this might still be very hard to hear. Uh, We're not going to have time to go into the ins and outs of all of it. Uh, But please can I recommend uh, listening to the talk we had on it from chapter 11, uh, which was basically an entire sermon on this issue. Simply, I think women can do everything in church except have authority. And that is not because of their worth or value or ability, but because of God ordained roles within the body. That's the chapter 11 logic. Do go have a listen again. And let's not forget Paul's starting place in all of this. Chapter 11, which is where Paul's body image and order in the church all began, he started verse 3 by talking about Jesus relating to the father in a submissive headship relationship so i'd always say if it's good enough for jesus then it's got to be good enough for us as a church body and jesus really goes to town when he submits to his father have we gone to the point of sweating blood to submit and that is such a useful corrective to our natural way of thinking about submission, isn't it? Because in, a, in submitting to the Father, is Jesus any less God? Uh, is he still equally as valuable as the Father? Is he still just as able as the Father to do the work that he set out to do? He's still just as much God as the Father. And with that submission idea explicitly in these verses, rather than anything else explicit, like prophecy, weighing, or whatever, I think that squares best with what Paul's been saying over these last three, four chapters. Needless to say, they're very difficult verses, and I'm not going to be able to ever make them easy for any of us, especially on our modern ears. Let's come back to our big point, order order with regards to prophecy and tongues. And in in fact, all spiritual matters. Did you see that in verse 37? All spiritual matters. Although prophecy is obviously the gift that Paul wants us particularly to be prizing, and weighing that is a really crucial thing. It's where Paul lands the whole section, verse 36 and verse 37. How do I weigh? How do I weigh prophecy? Answer, test it next to the Bible. Verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Obviously not. Or are you the only ones it has reached? Obviously not. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, notice how he broadens it there to any spiritual gift, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command from the Lord. In other words, Everyone must acknowledge that Paul's an apostle. Uh, Remember back to the logic from chapter 3 and 4. Paul defined his ministry there. Uh, He was the key to true spirituality today. Uh, He made himself the source of spiritual wisdom for us. And well, now here Paul is using that logic. Uh, To be spiritual is to weld yourself to apostolic teaching. It's the ultimate plumb line. Every prophecy anyone ever hears should ask the question, is that biblical? Is that in line with the apostles' teaching? That is all weighing is. And that's what we all must do every time we hear any truth. If they don't recognize this, did you see the logic? Then they are not recognized seems extreme, doesn't it? But it's basic level, spirituality. Fail to align with the apostles, and you won't be recognized. You'll be out. See, ever since the Exodus, people have been able to do miracles and amazing things. Pharaoh's magicians could replicate miracles seemingly genuinely but they would not be coming from the Lord. They could not be deemed to be spiritual. Evil spirits would have been behind that. See, it's very possible for somebody to have the seeming power, but not have power from God. So imagine a prophet comes to you and says that you must leave your wife and move in with somebody else. And I hope we all know that the Bible is really clear and says that that is wrong. Well, we have to conclude that's a wrong prophecy. It's a wrong prophecy. It's not true. How does what the prophet says compare with apostolic teaching? Finally, as we come to a close, we need to think, why is this a really good idea to be weighing prophecy together? and indeed seemingly weighing everything that is spiritual. Now We've thought about why it's good for the church as a whole already, but what about for you personally? Imagine one day you realize that your experiences within church weren't actually genuine, that they weren't right. They weren't actually spiritual. I don't just mean at so-called charismatic churches although that narrative I'm finding more and more is pretty common but maybe here imagine if that was the case Uh, what might that do to your faith what would that do to you if you found that out that your experiences weren't genuine when you realize that what you've been through was fake not truly spiritual imagine you believe things that weren't from scripture, because your church had led you that way. Imagine your church had added to the apostles' words. Where do you think that would leave you? I don't know, but I guess it might be the experience of lots of people in lots of churches around the globe. And what do you imagine that might do to their faith when they realize later, to realize that their church experience is a lie? See, order protects the church and keeps it being built together safely on the only solid ground of the apostles' teaching. But also, crucially, it also protects the spiritually gifted from regrets and from wasting their life. Order and weighing particularly protects everyone from living a lie. So what have we said? Tongues. Uh, This chapter has been about taking that gift home. It's a good gift, but let's never forget that. We should do it at home, not here. It's not really for the gathering. Interpreted tongues make it a prophecy, and prophecy is what we all want, at least what we should all want, and what we should all desire. (coughs) Let's just read that last verse. Again, verse 39. So, my brothers... Earnestly desire to prophesy, want for prophecy, yearn for prophecy, hunger to prophesy. Because prophecy is the extraordinary gift that builds the church. So can I, can I end by asking a question? Do you want to be part of the only thing that lasts Do you want to build Christ's body until the new creation? Because that is the role that he has offered to every one of us here. Uh, Do you want to take that responsibility to prophesy to each other? Do you want to be part of the only building project that will last for eternity? Let me pray as we close. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything that you've been saying to us about spiritual matters. Thank you so much that you have gifted everybody here. And thank you in your kindness that you tell us the wonders and the joy that it is to be able to prophesy each to each other. Help us, Father, to where it's appropriate, keep silent. Help us know what that looks like. And help us work that logic through in every part of our church meeting, such that every single person that comes into us, believer or unbeliever, would be built, built up into the body of Christ. The body of Christ, which will on that last day be presented holy blameless, perfect in your sight, but we long for that day, and we long that each and every one of us will be prophesying with great confidence, led by your spirit, in line with the apostles' teaching, and we pray all these things, Father, for your great glory. Amen.